from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. We'd like to start the classes with, with excavating that tusk. Locate each each uh, find with a laser and record its its locations. We can't ever really avoid the the painstaking task of getting down and and picking the dirt off with with brushes and, and picks um, toothpicks. <laughs> Are there other colleges and universities that can offer an on-campus fieldwork course? that features excavation of something like this tusk. I'm Elaine Cha. The recent discovery of a mammoth tusk at that campus in Elsa, Illinois, has Professor Andrew Martin very excited. He plans to use the on-campus discovery and its excavation as part of course this fall. Joining me to talk about it is Andrew Martin, an associate professor at Principia College in Elsa, Illinois. He teaches courses in art history, sociology, anthropology, and archaeology. Andrew, welcome to the program. Hi, Elaine. Nice to be on your program. Happy to have you. There is some in-real-life drama around the recent discovery of the mammoth tusk named Mike, and I believe that's short for Michael, um, not microphone. What's the story behind that name and the tusks uncovering? Well, um, <clears throat> we, uh, we have a facilities department here with some dedicated uh, workers who um, maintain the, the college campus. Uh, and Mike Towell, um, a great guy discovered the tusk while excavating a borrow pit for soil to um, bolster some of the roads on campus. Uh, and he saw something white uh, at around 12 feet deep uh, and stopped, thankfully. Um, we invited a geologist from the Illinois State Museum in Springfield, uh, Dr. Melissa Pardy, to verify the find, and she identified it as a tusk, um, which made us all kind of excited. Okay. And, um, yeah, we, we then asked the University of Illinois to help with determining uh, how much the remains were in place below the tusk. Um, and uh, a couple of uh, well, doctors, Helen Silverman and Brandon uh, Richardson uh, from the University of Illinois came down to um, conduct ground penetrating radar. Uh, and we discovered something large below. So it indicates that there is something large under the ground. Now, where were you when you got word that something had been found on campus? Um, well, I, I was actually uh, just back from my sabbatical. Uh, I was in France for the year. Uh, and so it was a big surprise um, and kind of started a whole new era here at the campus. And how did um, it feel to get that news? Well, um, we had a, uh, a mammoth that was discovered on the campus uh, in 1999, uh, and it was uh, a very well publicized find at that at that time. And uh, there was an excavation of it that lasted uh, over 12 years. Um, so I was a little bit nervous, I must say, <laughs> that this uh, will take so much, uh, well, so long. But it's an amazing opportunity uh, for the campus to really engage in experiential learning for the students um, and exciting for the campus too. 
As far as that time between discovery and confirmation of what it was, how long did that take? Um, it was a few weeks. We, we had to sort of get people back from um, from vacation uh, first and uh, talk it over. And we determined that we really needed to verify it and also to do GPR, ground-penetrating radar, uh, to find how much of a, a find it was. And was there anything that needed to be done to protect that area um, to keep people from, with healthy curiosity, from trying to get closer and like digging with their fingers or other implements. Right. Yeah. So, um, um, for some reason, uh, mammoth tusks have become um, fairly um, valuable these days. So we did actually uh, cordon off the site and uh, cover it with a tarp to prevent erosion from the rain, uh, since it's on a slope. Um, I actually actually used a, a coracle boat that my students reconstructed in my Native American cultures class uh, to cover the tusk below the tarp uh, so condensation uh, would not drip on the tusk from the tarp. So your students were really using what they were learning in the, the real world. Right, yeah. So uh, we, we're a small liberal arts college here. Um, and uh, have very small classes, so we're able to do experiential and, and immersive activities quite quite well. Um, and uh, I'm actually teaching a class on Native American cultures in half an hour, uh, so a large part of that class is learning vital crafts of historic Native Americans to understand them better, mm-hmm. uh, like reconstructing houses or boats. So Principia College is about 40 miles north of St. Louis, and it's right along the Mississippi River. What is the geology like um, on campus and nearby? Well, um, we're right at the top of the bluffs along the Great River Road uh, from Alton to Grafton, uh, and they're about 200 um, feet high. Uh, And I I really uh, didn't realize this until I got uh, studying into the geology of of uh, mammoths and mastodons, uh, but it was the uh, the ground level um, until the glaciers in the north started melting at the end of the ice age, uh, and it caused an enormous torrent up to about 11 miles wide and 200 feet 200 feet deep uh, during the summers that carved the bluffs along the Great River Road uh, and the Missouri River to the south. Uh, and it created these verdant banks that attracted the mammoths and, and mastodons uh, during the spring and summer. Uh, but during the winter, the river would have dried up uh, and the glaciers would have refrozen and the area would have reverted to tra- tundra, uh, which would have produced uh, actually a lot of dust, a lot of uh, sediment that the, the river left, uh, which would have been whipped up into dust storms uh, that covered the bluffs in about 50 feet um, of deep of of, um, loess, which is sort of uh, dust. Mm -hmm. Uh, It may have been this dust that killed the mammoths uh, who'd wandered into what was effectively a trap. Uh, And so when we excavate this fall, we'll hopefully begin to know what actually happened. And how many years ago are we talking about? Um, Well, the previous mammoth that was discovered here was uh, fairly intact, so we we think that it was choked to death by these dust storms. Um, and it was dated, I think, 17,000 years ago, so about 15,000 B.C. 
This sort of digging on campus isn't unusual, which is something that you've um, alluded to. And this is just the, the latest discovery of ancient animal remains. Because back in 1999, um, Benny preceded Mike. Um, right. And it, I believe that it was Benny that was part of your getting to Principia College about eight and a half years ago. What is the connection between the 99 discovery of that mammoth and your landing in Elsa, Illinois? Well, uh, funny you should ask because, um, well, <clears throat> archaeology hadn't really been a uh, of much interest here until Benny was excavate, uh, excavated um, around 2002, I think it was, uh, for then 12 years. Uh, and I actually... Uh, came from my interview on pretty much the last day uh, when uh, Benny was reconstructed in the science center, uh, and I helped uh, help build that reconstruction of it. So I, I like to think that uh, Janice Trewergi, who was in charge of the excavation, uh, sort of handed me the baton <laughs> at my interview. We're speaking with Andrew Martin, who's associate professor at Principia College in Elsa, Illinois. We're discussing the recent discovery of a mammoth tusk on campus. Now, an article in the Alton Telegraph describes the recent ancient mammoth tusk discovery uh, as mammoth or mastodon. Why is that or in there? Well, um, we only have a part of the tusk visible on the surface. Um, we'd like to start the classes with, with excavating that tusk. So um, if we excavate the tusk and it turns out that it's curved and, and goes back down into the earth. It's a mammoth, but if it, uh, if it ends uh, with just a, a gentle curve, it's probably a mastodon. Uh, and so we'll, we'll know better what it, what it, will, what it is, what it was, um, when we start excavating. Mm -hmm. And what does a mastodon look like? For example, how, how big would a mastodon have been? Right, well, um, not much bigger than an elephant. Um, a mammoth is slightly larger than an elephant, maybe 10 to 12 feet high, um, with a lot more hair, so they're, they're much hairier. <laughs> um, uh, a mastodon would have had shorter hair, um, shorter, straighter tusks. Not straight tusks, but uh, straighter. Mm -hmm. And how long ago was it that mastodons would have roamed the area? So um, they they roamed um, during the ice ages, but also um, after the ice age, uh, when people actually uh, they coincided with the first Native Americans uh, that came into the country, and uh, they think that their demise was a combination of climate change became too warm uh, and human uh, hunting. So uh, it was possibly one or the other or both about sorry about uh, 10 10,000 BC mm -hmm. and if it is in fact confirmed that what you have found is the beginnings of mastodon remains would confirming that add something particularly useful or just really interesting to what we now know about animals that roamed this region well there are uh, many uh, mammoths and mastodons found uh, actually in Illinois, um, but not very many that are intact. 
so uh, buried um, fairly uh, intact. So if it if it is intact or fairly intact, um, it may add to the knowledge that we have of of those creatures. Uh, but also, it'd be interesting to know what um, what happened to them in this particular area, why they were attracted to this uh, to the bluffs along uh, along this river, um, and uh, there are many there are many unanswered questions uh, that scientists have about mammoths and mastodons that we could uh, try and address. Mm-hmm. Now, what Mike Towell uncovered of that ancient tusk is just a small part of what's left to be unearthed. As far as you know, are there other colleges and universities that can offer an on-campus fieldwork course that features excavation of something like this tusk? Well, I don't know of any. Uh, it's a it's a wonderful opportunity. Um, fortunately, also we we have the skills and the equipment and uh, the knowledge of of excavating one already. So um, the students can really jump right in and uh, and learn uh, great skills of of uh, recording and conservation analysis, uh, use of scientific instruments. Uh, last last time they published and gave conference papers too. Once excavated, do you know what will happen to what you uncover? So, for example, will it be put back together and put on display like Benny, the previous find, um, which was completed back in 2014? Yes, that that would be a a wonderful outcome. Uh, We have a a display of it in the the bottom floor of our science center uh, of the Benny, and... uh, if we have a mastodon, we, we could display that beside it, or a mammoth. Um, there's plenty of room, so uh, that that would be a nice outcome, yes. Mm-hmm. And how excited are you about this find and using it to teach students? Yes, well, um, I've taught archaeology for uh, nine years now at the, the college, and we've, we've uh, excavated a, uh, a bit of the previous settlement, a European settlement, uh, that was here and uh, part of a, a very um, uh, uh, it was a limited uh, settlement from uh, Native American historic times um, but we've never really dis- discovered something quite as uh, as popular as a mammoth so this is something that many students will want to excavate uh, and I'm excited that that they're excited in archaeology because of it. And to the point about students, do you foresee this discovery and the opportunity for students to be this close to excavation as um, a point of attraction for other young people who are interested in archaeology? Yes, um, it's kind of a tragedy that, that, well, when when I was growing up, my um, I, I watched programs on archaeology all the time, uh, but it wasn't really an option not to because in England there there were only four channels and it was very <laughs> popular. Uh, but today people um, can watch what they want on Netflix, so um, there isn't much uh, recognition of what archaeology is uh, or interest in it. So this is an opportunity, I think, to to get that exciting sense of discovery across to the students. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned experiential learning with your class. Are there new ways that archaeology is done that you'd like to try, or are the methods of excavation 
largely the same as they have been for many decades? Well, <laughs> uh, that's, that's kind of the thing with archaeology. There isn't really a, an easy way of going about it. Um, so archaeology really has been uh, the same as it has been for, for a couple of hundred years. Um, we have a lot more scientific recording instruments. Uh, we actually have a, um, a, a brand new total station here, uh, which can uh, locate each, each uh, find with a laser and record its, its location. So that makes it a lot easier. But we can't ever really avoid the, the painstaking task of getting down and, and picking the dirt off with, with brushes and, and picks, um, toothpicks. <laughs> Um, and so that that will remain probably the same um, unless we we find some sort of elaborate tool to to do it for us. Mm-hmm. Now you earned your PhD in archaeology at Cambridge University in England, where you specifically compared the Native American mound builders in this region where we are now and the Stonehenge culture of Neolithic Britain. And you were drawn to this area, I understand, specifically because you're fascinated by the history and the Native Americans who lived here. What do you find so compelling about this area? Well, it, it was a um, in, in the uh, Hopewell period, which existed uh, around 2,000 years ago, um, one of the first Pan-American cultures, uh, it developed because of the prodigious uh, growth of natural foods and, and, its, and how it attracted well, many animals to the area um, because of the rivers and the comfort uh, convergence of the rivers, uh, the, the silt that was left by them uh, from flooding. Um, and, it, and because of that, uh, people were able to uh, eat, feed themselves much more easily and develop religious uh, plazas and and ceremonies and burial mounds um, that really were the first, some of the first in the United States, uh, and it developed into a, quite a thriving, sophisticated culture uh, at the same sort of socio-economic level uh, as the Stonehenge culture, um, and they have many similarities. Uh, I was kind of curious whether we could understand them uh, here by applying some techniques that, that are used in Britain. Um, and it kind of opened up for me uh, the culture and, and their religious ideas and, uh, and uh, ideology. Mm-hmm. Did the recent discovery of this ancient mammoth tusk set your scholarly senses a tingle in a way that's particular to your interests as a professor working with students? Well, um, yes. I mean, it's it's a fascinating period. I think we're we're learning more and more about the the, the late Pleistocene, uh, the Paleolithic period, um, and how sophisticated that that period was. Uh, even uh, that we've kind of relegated to the Stone Age or, or um, basic skills, but uh, we're learning more and more that the people at that period were are much more sophisticated and, um, and so being uh, of course a mammoth it wouldn't necessarily coincide with that period um, but it may and, and that, that might be an exciting discovery but even if it didn't 
Uh, I think the, the geology is fascinating uh, and also understanding how how life was lived by the animals or people on the campus uh, is something that the students uh, kind of get excited about. Mm -hmm. Andrew Martin is an associate professor at Principia College in Elsa, Illinois. He teaches courses in art history, sociology, anthropology, and archaeology. He spoke with us about the recent discovery of Mike, an ancient mammoth tusk, and how unearthing it will be incorporated into field work this fall that he will be leading. Thank you for your time today. Thank you, Elaine. Today's episode was produced by Alex Hoyer, with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our production intern is Avery Rogers. Our executive producer is Alex. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.